It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's one o'clock and we are here live. I have two spectacular guests today, uh, bringing one in for, I think, maybe the second or third time on the show. So we're really excited to talk to them. And, you know, this happens to be the first time that you are uh, are visiting us uh, to our show, to our podcast. Welcome. Um, the show is really about talent. And that really, that word can kind of go in two different ways. And we explore that both def, def excuse me, both definitions here. The first definition is, you know, what are really talented people doing? What are the secrets uh, that we can learn from them? What are they thinking about? What are they reading? Uh, and then what are people doing with uh, their talent uh, as far as the people that they are managing, they're hiring uh, and engaging and, and, and motivating? And, and what are some of the things they're thinking about there? So really, the show kind of evolves around that area. And we love to kind of uh, have that deep conversation. I love to have these deep conversations with people because they give me so many great stories, so much to think about. Um, and that's why the show was created, was to take my one-on-one -on -one conversations that I was having with these really talented people and put it on the air. So you can hear it, you can learn from it, you can take away what you want. You can even ask questions as you're going along. If you have questions, you have comments, you want to contribute to the show, you can do that, whether it's live or after the fact, on Twitter by following at PeopleG2. You can also follow that talent uh, talent talk uh, hashtag. But we uh, live tweet during the show all the best little one-liners, best little tidbits, and you can find those there anytime you want on at PeopleG2. Now, most of you um, maybe have heard uh, that I released a book back in 2018, The Power of Company Culture, and it has a lot of the past stories from the show and, and my own story. Uh, through my company's experience. So I'd uh, love to have you check that out. But uh, as far as the show goes, make sure you subscribe. But whether wherever you listen to your podcast, you know, directly with iTunes, directly with iHeartRadio or there, Stitcher or wherever you find podcasts, you can subscribe to make sure you get uh, the next week's show whenever it shows up. So um, we will uh, get to, uh, to all of that here uh, as we bring in our two guests today. My first guest will be Annette uh, Franz, the founder and CEO of CX Journey. And then we'll bring in uh, Lisa DiVirgilio Arnold. I think she's added the Arnold since the last time when she was on the show. Uh, so two powerhouse women. Uh, she's the COO of We Are Mammoth, a company you may have heard of. So uh, Lisa will come into that second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Annette, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely excited to have you on the show, and why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you and your past and your, your accomplishments or experiences, and of course, give us a little rundown on what CX Journey does as well. Do you want the short version or do you want the long version? <laughs> you know, it's a 20-minute interview, so probably the short version would be great. <laughs> Well, especially since you know I've been in this in this uh, customer experience space for 27 years, so I'll, I'll, I would go the short version. The short version is really that uh, I'm a coach, I'm a speaker, and I'm a, I'm an author, and I have been in this customer experience space for about 27 years. Started my career back at JD Power and Associates uh, back in the early 90s, and have just watched this customer experience thing evolve over the last 27 years, which has been really cool. Um, about two and a half years ago, I left the corporate world um, and said, all right, it's time to go out and do this thing on my own, right? So I started CX Journey, Inc. Uh, back in 2017, early 2017, and it really has just been amazing. You know, I've ha I have had such a great following up to that point, and I've really uh, obviously taken advantage of that and, and have been so excited to help businesses 
um, both in a coaching and a consulting capacity um, uh, to, you know, improve their improve their customer experience, improve their employee experience, and just really take a look at the culture, the leadership, and all of that together. Um, and as you know, it all works together. So yeah, so that's that's been my focus, and that and that's what I do here at CX Journey. So really excited to to be on the show and to share some of my thoughts with you. So I think we're all maybe have some idea about what customer experience looks like and feels like, both yep. in you know when we have a good experience with a product or a service uh, personally, or we certainly if you've read any business books and you've you know the word Steve Jobs has come up. I mean, there's been a few entre- you know really big pioneers in the in this last uh, 20 years that you kind of mentioned, but the employee experience is still something that feels like. I don't know. It's still a bit foreign. There's only a few that maybe are yeah. doing it pretty well. Um, maybe that's because they're always changing. You know, who who your employee is, who that you know ideal client in that perspective is, is changing, and it's kind of hard to put a, your your handle on it. But what is the employee experience to you, and why should organizations put maybe more focus on it? Yeah. So the way that I define it, it's not too different from uh, how I define customer experience, but it has a few nuances that are different from how I define customer experience. So employee experience to me is really the sum of all the interactions that an employee has um, with her employer over the life of the relationship with that with that employer. And that really includes any way that the employee touches or interacts with the company and vice, you know, vice versa in, in, during the course of uh, doing her job. Um, I also say that it includes actions and capabilities that really enable her to do her job. And, and, and on top of that, a layer one more thing. So it's sort of three, a three-part definition. The last part of it is really the feelings and the emotions and perceptions. And this is really an important uh, key part of it. Um, the feelings, the emotions, and the perceptions that the employee has about both the interactions with the employer and about the capabilities that she's given to do her job. And, and the way that I look at the capabilities and that piece of it, I kind of break it up into, into two parts, right? I break it up into the soft stuff and the hard stuff. And to me, the soft stuff is the way that many of us often think about employee experience and what's really important to that, right? It's, it's growth and development and career planning and communication and leadership and knowing how the work that I do matters and, and how, do, how do I contribute to the purpose of the business and all of those kinds of things. Whereas the hard stuff is um, really about the tools and the resources and the, and the training and the processes and the policies and, and even the workspace and the workplace that I have in order to do, you know, my best work. And so I think that part of it, that second part of it, the hard stuff is the part that is often forgotten about, right? It's it's such a key part of being able to do my job as an employee, but it's often right. um, overlooked now. But for so many years, I think organizations just didn't care, didn't think about it, yeah. didn't realize, you know, that it was something they should really keep an eye on. I mean, certainly yeah. no job that I ever had cared about the employee right. experience, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm the same boat. I, I mean, the first, the first time we ever started talking about it was when I was a CEO, when we started saying, well, maybe we right. should think, be thinking about this. And But that is yeah. an evolution, in, you know, where where companies are at. And so why do, you, why do you think that that's become such a top priority? Is it just a, a more awareness that there's more studies and more information out there for people to realize that it's important? Is it really, a, you know, a battle for talent? Uh, do, do, you know, that trying to find the right people or, you know, what, what are some of the things going into driving people to really put this as a, as a first step for them? You know, I think, I think it's all of the above. And, and sadly, I agree with you, right? Because, you know, when I was at JD Power Associates, again, this was 27 years ago, I was talking to my clients then at that time and saying, hey, we've got to listen to employees too. And they'd be like, no, we're just going to listen to customers. We'll think about the employees later. And that's a conversation that I've had with so many companies over the last 27 years. And I think one of the points that you make is that more and more people are talking about it now. So there's consultants and vendors and thought leaders out there who are just doing the research and talking about um, the employee experience and the importance of the employees ultimately to the business. As silly as that sounds for us to even have to say, right? Um, But I think there are a couple of things. So, you know, some of that research, you know, employee engagement numbers being so dismal, um, turnover numbers, like I, I've worked with some clients and, and they vary by industry. But for example, you know, I, I've had some employees in the construction industry where turnover is in the 50, 60, 70%. And it's, and it's insane. It really is. And so I think that has people just really 
perking up and saying, wow, this is expensive. To replace <laughs> so many employees day in and day out is really expensive. And, um, and um, at the same time, employees are tired of being treated like crap. And I think the, the one key thing here, and I, I hate to even bring this up because it, it's just, it, it, I, I, to me, I think millennials is a state of mind. A lot of the things that millennials like, I like too, but I'm not a, I'm not a millennial, right? But I think some of the things that they're asking for and, and, and really wanting in their jobs today, in their careers today, is pushing how employers are now having to do things differently. So I think that's a, that's a big factor as well. Yeah, and you know that really kind of factors into so many different areas. Uh, but you know, there seems to be still some hesitance from companies to really listen to their employees, to really listen yep. uh, uh, to, to them. And and I and I understand at some level some of their hesitation. I mean, you can look at yeah. there are times to be innovative, there are times to really, you know, uh, point the ship and say this is where we're going, and you. Guys, need, guys and gals need to come along at, if you want to, or, or if not, opt out and go work somewhere else, right? There's a is a certain set of vision setting and goal setting that the leaders need to do, uh, independent of what maybe anybody else thinks. That's part of their job. I mean, I think so. I heard someone jokingly say, if Henry Ford had listened to his clients, you know, they would have asked for something, you know, a better carriage for their horse, yeah. right? Yeah. They, he would not have built a car. Horses, yes. Would, and so there's this battle, right, between how do you how do you be have good have a vision and have a, have these ideals and, and innovation and all of that at the same time then you know temper that with but listening to people and the right people yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah exactly. So what are your thoughts there? Well, I you know here's here's the thing, and and it's so funny. It's it's we're all people, right? We're all humans. And I, and I use this a lot when I'm speaking and I'm talking about the employee experiences, like what happens to us, not just as employees, but even as, you know, as managers and executives in companies, what happens to us when we cross the threshold of the building, <laughs> you know, of the office building, and suddenly we don't care about people anymore as people, right? We just, we just go in and we're just business focused and that's it. And it's, it's really a sad state of how things are, but, but, you know, it, the only way that we're really going to understand our employees and the only way that we're going to stem the tide when it comes to turnover and to all of these other issues that companies are facing with regard to retention and, and, and what employees want is to listen to them and to ask them and ask for their feedback and ask for their input and the, look at them as, as human beings, right? You know, I think a big part of it is it's a, it's a mindset shift and it's a behavior shift, right? And so we've mm -hmm. just got to, we've just got to keep talking about it we've, and, and, and encouraging and teaching and especially teaching why it's so important to listen to employees. And once we, once they get that and they listen to their employees and they find how much richness, like these, you hired these people for a reason, right? There's so much richness in terms of what they know and what they, what they want, not just for themselves, but for the business. I mean, people don't go to work every day and say, Hey, I'm going to do a crappy job because I want this business to go under, you know, I mean, you hired them again, you hired them for a reason. So let's listen to them and, and make things better. So, and it'll be better for everybody, not just for them, but for everybody. And I wonder what you think, because I, I often kind of give this advice and I would love your perspective is that, you know, they definitely should listen to their employees. And I think it's important to listen often and frequently, yeah. not just like once a year in some survey um, right. or just like when some one bad thing happens. Right, but right. more of a habit of regularly hearing them and regularly listening, so that they can really interpret what's you know what's good, what's not, who yep. who who has that the right language and the right thought process or alignment with your company, and maybe who doesn't, and then to think about changes in incremental ways and to make small test you know do a do a pilot, do a test, see how it works, and then see what changes you can make on a you know. I call them one percent changes, a small one percent adjustment. Because um, so many of the horror stories I've heard from companies, they were like, "Well, everyone said they wanted a standing desk, so we bought everyone mm. a standing desk." And then everyone started complaining their backs hurt. <laughs> so right. Then we had to, then we had to buy everyone a pad, and, and they're complaining. And I'm like, "Well, did you test this? Did you? You know, I'm not, I'm yeah. pretty sure not everyone wanted to be at a standing desk. You know, and they went just sort of right. big. So." Where right. do you is that does that fall in line with what you're seeing that small incremental, or or is there a different way to think about it? 
Yeah, and absolutely. And here's, I'll, I'll even step back for a second and go back to what you said about Henry Ford and, and, and people asking for faster horses, right? Really what we aren't, what we don't, what we don't want to do is just ask people what they want, right? Because that's going to turn into issues like you just said, you know, that'll, that'll turn into bigger problems. What we need to do is we need to find out what problems they're trying to solve, what pain points they have, what jobs they're trying to do, and go from there and solve, the, solve for that, right? Just because everybody says, oh, the latest, greatest thing is a standing desk, that doesn't mean that that's what everybody wants or needs, right? You know, so, so it's really trying to get to the core of, of the ask, right? And really understanding what, what problem are they trying to solve with the standing desk? Is there something else, right? Because that's just a fad. And, and I do love your point. It's like if you're any, anything that you're going to roll out, I would prototype it and test it and then see if that works. And if it flies, great. And if it doesn't, then move on and don't roll it out to the other 99%. Absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you have those strategies and it's easier to want to go back and listen and easier to want to make changes to try to do things that are better and not end up in that situation where, you know, what's that saying? No, no good deed goes unpunished. Right, that we don't go out there and, and try to do something great, but then end up screwing it all up. <laughs> well, based on, on on studies that that you've read, you know, how does a great employee experience translate over to maybe the customer satisfaction and increased revenue? Does does this employee experience, you know, impact the customer experience as well? There's such a there's such a clear connection, and here's here's <laughs> there's been a ton of research done on this going that, that dates back to you know the 70s that I could find, but I'm sure it goes back further than this. But um, Sears was actually one of the original, and they had written about this um, case study or case in uh, in Harvard Business Review, and Sears was actually one of the original organizations where they were able to use the data that Sears had to prove the connection between the employee experience and, and the customer experience and then ultimately profitability. My favorite, and, and actually I think it netted or, or resulted in the book or was actually written about in the book in the service profit chain, which is, which is purely the best description of how this works, right? So as long as employees have a great experience, which means in, including all of that soft stuff and all of that hard stuff, right? So if employees have a great experience, then that translates into greater productivity and it translates into better quality of work too, right? And then of course the customer is going to benefit from there. So if the employee is, and I hate to use this so simply because it's not quite this simple, but if the employee is happy, then the customer is happy, right? If your employees come to work every day and they can't do their jobs, then your customers are going to feel it. I, you know, when I first started an engagement with new clients, I interview employees, customers, and executives. And it's, so funny to me how every single time it's not failed with any client, the employees will tell me, hey, Annette, I don't have the tools, resources, the, you know, blah, 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 to do my job or to, to deliver the service that my clients deserve or to serve my clients, right, or to serve my customers. And then I go and I interview the customers and they talk about some of the pain points that they're experiencing with the brand. And I look at the two interview, you know, transcripts side by side, and I'm like, wow, the employees just said this is a pain point here in X, and the customers are feeling it. I mean, there's no better story to, you know, to make that connection there. So, so yeah, it's, and like I said, there's a ton of research out there, too, that, that speaks exactly to that as well. So how can leaders really get involved in this process? You know, where is their inflection point? Or where, where can they have the biggest you know, impact. It's sort of that 80-20, right? Where can they go in and do 20% of the work and get 80% of the impact back uh, as it relates around the employee experience? Are there some, you know, basic, simple things that you see that most companies aren't doing that they should be doing? Well, and, and uh, you know, as you're saying that, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this this article, the one that I just shared on LinkedIn today about Jamie Dimon and this group of 180 other CEOs who have agreed that, you know, uh, you know, shareholder maximi maximizing shareholder value is no longer the purpose of a business, and really we need to focus on the employee and focus on the customer and I, and, and the community and, and other constituents, and, and ultimately the stake uh, the shareholders will will profit, will be happy. Um, and I think about some of the things that because they're really you know if you read the articles about it, there's really no 
concrete plan in place for for what they're going to do or how they're going to shift um, and do business differently. But I think a lot of the, a lot of it comes first from that mindset shift. That's huge, right? To get employees into that head I'm sorry, CEOs into that headspace where they're like, yes, we've got to focus on our employees because when we do that, then that translates through the customer and then ultimately um, revenue and profits, right? So, so some of the things that they need to do really are come from them, <laughs> you know, they come from them. They've got to start caring about their employees um, and doing so and, and showing how they're going to do that. And it starts with um, making sure that you've got the right culture in place too, I think, and you can probably speak volumes to this, but it really starts with having the right culture in place and then making sure you also have the right employees who fit that culture and then making sure that everybody lives um, according to the core values and, and making sure that the leadership team is, is demonstrating and modeling and reinforcing against those core values as well. So there's, so I think it starts there and it sounds like such a basic place to start, but that alone, again, you can, you can attest to this is, is a major movement in and of itself. So it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but they do, they have to start doing things differently and getting feedback from the employees, you know, listening to them and incorporating them into everything that they're doing and not forcing things on them as much, rather bringing them into ideation sessions and and solving problems together and those kinds of things and starting to make it more of a, a, a it's about it's about you and it's about us, right? And not just about the profits and the revenue and stuff like that. So communication's got to be abundant. There's, you know, trust has to be in place and the employees have to be empowered. You know, they've got to be empowered to do what's right and to do the right thing. So uh, that's just a short list. There's a ton more work that lies ahead there, but I think that's, um, those are some of the key things that they've got to focus on. Yeah. And, and some of the things that I have to think about for companies are, you know, you need to have a really killer onboarding uh, process that you know if you don't get it right in the beginning then you've sort of set your employee up to doubt whether or not they're going to stick around and to even start to check out early and to think about getting a different job um, you know if you sort of get it wrong in the beginning it's really hard to make up for that um, yeah. and and you can have a great culture you can have all these great things and you can still like do a really bad job of onboarding people uh, and that's everything from how do you train them, who, how do they interact with people, do they even have business cards and pens and the things they actually right. need that you, you mentioned, the tools to do their job. Do they have access, you know, do they have a password and a computer and can they get into the network and, you know, just silly things you would think that should all be set up that I literally have client after client tell me they did not have set up and someone just sat there I all day, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, it's laughable. It's like, what? What? Yeah. I mean, I've told people, yeah. like, if you're not ready, you're better off just paying them for the day and tell them to go to the beach or wherever and go have yeah. an enjoyable first day uh, by taking a, a personal day and yeah. get your get your stuff together and have – so then come in the second day and they're actually ready to go. Um, exactly. You know, it's just – it makes no sense. So – yeah, um, yeah. And the other thing that I would add to the onboarding process, too, is, yeah, it's a lot about the company orientation and onboarding, a lot about the company and, you know, the things that you, you've talked about, some of those silly things that ought to be in place. But there ought to also be time set aside to say, hey, here's what our career, here's what we see for you, here's what our career planning process, here's what the growth opportunities are, here's just to start to get people thinking about that and start, starting to make it about them, too, right, you know, right. and not just about, it's all about the company, so... So one of our favorite questions on the show is to ask people about what they're reading right now, or if you're not mm. reading something, maybe right this second, is there a book that you tend to suggest that people check out? Yep. Oh, this is, I love this. Well, first of all, I haven't been reading a lot because I've just been working on finishing my book, which is going to come out in just a couple of weeks. So, so I haven't been reading a lot, but I do have um, two books that I would love to recommend. One of them is a book called Everybody Matters by um, Bob Chapman, who is the CEO of Barry Waymiller. And um, seven or eight years ago, he did a TED Talk, and he launched this concept of truly human leadership. And he talks about his stories to going from the CEO that we all <laughs> know and don't love to a CEO that everybody loves. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. We've talked several times, and I just love his story and the message that he represents, you know, and it's really about caring for your employees like family, you know, and it, while that sounds hokey, maybe, I don't know. Um, it's really about, you know, his 
realization that, hey, these people are in my care, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. I ought to be sending them home in the same or better shape than they were when they came this morning, right? So that when they go home to their families, they're not grumpy or tired or, you know, and hey, let's reduce the arguments and the divorce rates and those kinds of things. So um, so that's one book, Everybody Matters by Bob Chapman. And the other book is very closely related is Jeffrey Pfeffer's Dying for a Paycheck and some of the statistics that he shares and some of the things he talks about um, when it comes to the employee and, and uh, how how the work day and your work environment really impact your health and everything else. And so, yeah, those are two great books that I would absolutely recommend. Well, they sound like great ones and I highly suggest everyone check those out. Uh, and how can people uh, get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and they need help with their customer or employee experience? What's the best way for them to figure that out? Yeah, of course. Um, feel free to email me at Annette at cx-journey.com or what my website is cx-journey.com or feel free to follow me on Twitter um, at Annette Franz. Um, yeah, uh, I'm ha- always happy to help. So thank you for that. Thanks, Chris. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that great insight and for giving our listeners something to think about, uh, especially it's a nice little slant today to kind of look at it through the eyes of, of an experience. So um, hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on, on all the cool stuff that you're doing. I would love to. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me again. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back with my second guest, Lisa DeVillage. I knew I was going to mess it up. I knew. I just paused like he's shaking his head at me. DeVirgilio Arnold. Uh, Right back after this quick commercial break. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case uh, you missed my first guest, Annette uh, Franz, uh, her interview can be found on our podcast uh, on iTunes or iHeartRadio, as well as uh, uh, TalentTalkRadio.com. Suggest you go to any one of those and subscribe. Don't forget we are uh, doing the uh, the Twitter thing, uh, at PeopleG2. You can include... Uh, Look for that hashtag talent talk, but we are live streaming uh, kind of all the best little tidbits of today. So whether you're listening to the show live or you're getting this after the fact, you can go and uh, find us there, find the the, the show, the comments, and uh, hopefully be a part of the conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and bring back uh, bring in Lisa here uh, back to the show. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm sure no one has ever messed up your your last name there, at least your your maiden name. Uh, I'm sure I was the first one, right? (laughs) Super Italian, right? And that's why I ended up marrying an Arnold. It made it all easier, so we're good to go from there. Good, good. (laughs) Well, I know you're currently heading up uh, We Are Mammoth and its daughter company, Ken HR. And uh, you have your own business that helps uh, small town businesses grow as well called uh, Small Town Startup. Uh, so doing all of that and I know you, I think you've gotten married since the last time you were on the show. Uh, how do you juggle all that you're doing and, uh, what are some of the things you maybe give us an update since the last time you were on the show? Yeah, absolutely. So you and I have met through HR tech basically. Um, and the last time I was on the show, I was, uh, the CEO of Wickwire, which was an HR, um, talent application tool for restaurants. 
And I continued down the path of HR tech. So now I'm the COO of We Are Mammoth and its daughter company, Kin. And Kin is an incredible HRIS tool, which we'll talk about in a little while. Um, But I'm really keeping that HR tech streak alive. And like you mentioned, I do have my own organization called Small Town Startup, which helps small businesses in small towns thrive. Um, And we bring in education, we bring in consultation so that they don't have to leave their own backyards to get, you know, five-star service and growing their business. And for me and for Kin, um, we've always really encouraged side hustles because, quite frankly, we believe that if you focus on anything for way too long, it's going to lead to burnout, right? So mm-hmm. our employees and I gain different perspectives and creative solutions by having different aspects of our lives, you know, and we can solve a problem say in small town startup that may give me some insight to a challenge that I'm facing at Kin or I'm facing at We Are Mammoth. And we both know, you know, sitting in front of a computer all day staring at the same problem is not going to bring the solution. Um, It's all about connecting dots from different places that we've been exposed to to make those innovative changes happen. And, And that's exactly how I balance it. It's it's not always pretty, uh, but you know, uh, work. Li- there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's work li- work-life integration, and right. I'm really grateful for everything I get to be a part of. Well, it sounds a little bit like the um, sort of idea that you know Google's famous for, where they allow a certain amount of hours, you know, uh, to, to a side project or something else, um, and, and and you know that kind of. Uh, I guess, intention, right? We are allowing yourself to go and do something else and you kind of get these other cool ideas. You may get inspiration. And if you don't, at least you're just kind of exercising your mind in some other way. Um, Some of the things that we do every day are super important and they're super boring and monotonous. Um, and so I guess having that another little area to play is super important. Is that that kind of where it it holds a, a value for you? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the more we can expose ourselves to in this lifetime, the more rich our lives are going to be. And that includes in the workplace. We are spending a majority of our lives at work. It needs to be something that is challenging and exciting and new. And whether you've been at a company for 10 days or 10 years, there are challenges that you have not faced that you can go and find in that company. You know, for our organization especially, we do not prescribe to you must fit into your job description, and that's all you can do. We've had folks come and say, hey, I'm really interested in this part of the business, or I'm really interested in that part of the business, and it has nothing to do with what they were hired for. And quite frankly, we hire primarily for personality and for the emotional kind of intelligence of that person. It's not a skill set that we absolutely positively need all of the time. So allowing them to ebb and flow in parts of the business that are exciting or thrilling to them is only a benefit to us, and it can only provide new perspective to us as well. So, you know, you, you started to talk a little bit and kind of a good little segue into my next question, which was, you know, what what's the culture like at We Are Mammoth and Ken? I mean, you, again, you started to kind of give us this idea about allowing for this uh, – uh, different projects, different areas you might be able to put your attention. Um, certainly, you're hiring for uh, EQ and probably potential more than you are experience. Where else, uh, you know, what else is your is your company kind of defining its culture around, or what are some of the other cool things that you're thinking about and doing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, for We Are Mammoth and for Kin, we have a very heavy tech side of it, so we do hire developers, but. We have developers that are having like their second job with us all the way up to developers who have been developing for 15, 20 years at this point. Um, And for us, culture really is something that is so very important. And the way that we communicate with each other, our culture is based on communication, which all cultures are, but we're very specific about the type of communication that matters to us. We are a 100% remote team as of 2017. So we are all U.S.-based. But we live everywhere from California to Florida to Pennsylvania, you know, to Nashville, Tennessee, where I am. Mm -hmm. So for us, um, digital presence is so important. Every morning we're getting on Slack, we're saying hello to each other, we're sharing tidbits about our lives. And I think the coolest thing to to really know that our culture is working, that people are feeling included in their daily workplace and their work team, is every year we do this retreat, right? We pick a city on the map that we haven't been to as a team, and we go there for three or four days, 
just to experience the city as a group, to talk about the upcoming year, and to really plan for the future. And you will have people walk into a room together for the first time there, for the first time seeing each other in person, but they've worked together for months, scream and cheer and like run to each other and hug each other. And what an interesting dynamic to think of. You know, they've never met each other in person, but they've built that bond out of the communication and trust that they have um, created within our culture. And I think for us, culture is about um, the clarity of your role and the clarity of the goals within the organization. So you have to understand what the organization is trying to achieve as a business and how you specifically fit in with your skill set and with your experience to help achieve that goal. And if you don't know either one of those, it's really hard to understand what the culture is and it's really hard to be able to fit in. So those are two really big pillars for us. Yeah, and, and I can definitely attest to, and, and you know that uh, my, my entire organization is 100% remote, and we sort of mandated everyone come together in December. Uh, we do our holiday party then, we do our year-end planning then, we do trainings, and you're right, people get together in a room, and it's the first time that they have actually seen each other in person, and you know, sort of all caution goes out the door. Everyone's hugging. People are screaming. People are, you know, yeah. the energy. We almost have to just sort of allow an hour for them to just talk, right? Just to be <laughs> yeah. near each other and not do anything yeah. that's important. Um, because there's a different vibe when you get get everyone together. Um, and it's something I think maybe only a remote team or, or teams that work together that maybe even if they're in actual locations, if they're separate from each other, maybe two different uh, divisions or something like that, can kind of, kind of relate to it really is a unique uh experience uh, for anyone that kind of manages those kinds of people. So you kind of bringing that human experience, which is sort of what we're doing on those little retreat days to it. I know that's something that Ken HR is trying to do is bring in that human experience into HRIS systems. Uh, yes. What does that mean? And, and what, you know, when it comes to employee experience uh, that you're trying to achieve, what is it you guys are trying to, to insert or do with your solution? Yeah, absolutely. So Ken has always been an HRIS, a lightweight HRIS. So we have all of those typical features you would expect, right? So we have PTO requests and approval. We have data management. We have reviews. All of those things that are typical to an HRIS. But what we um, recently did was completely rebuild Ken to allow us to achieve a bigger vision. And that is taking those typical uh, features that, and saying, well, how can we do more with those? How can we build better relationships through PTO requests and approvals? How can we build better relationships through reviews and objective setting? And, you know, the idea is nothing new. You look at what Project Time Off did, right, when um, the U.S. vacation put together this huge project where they looked at the burnout rate in America, really, and how it correlated to the little amount of time that U.S. workers were taking off each year. So we saw, you know, billions of dollars left on the table, millions of PTO days left on the table, and that directly correlated to performance at work. So for Ken, you know, we're working towards having really productive conversations about PTO and how do we trigger those conversations within our tool. So, for example, if someone hasn't taken time off in a really long time, we want our tool to eventually alert the manager and say, hey, you know, Sally hasn't taken time off in a while why don't you check on her, see how she's doing, seeing how she's performing, encourage her to take time off because we see more often than not people feel guilty about putting time in, all time in for their vacation. They feel like it makes them look replaceable or like their workload isn't heavy enough or they're not valued enough by the organization. Um, so having those conversations are key. It's the same thing when you look at reviews. Are you sure that your manager is asking the right questions and getting the right feedback from that employee that's going to have a really productive review period that's going to move both the organization and that specific employee's goals forward? So our tool really is kind of intersecting in this very interesting place between an HRIS system and an engagement tool. And it's providing the insight of how your organization is picking from a people operations perspective, the hardcore people operations of PTO and data management and reviews, and then the more soft skill side of things, which is, you know, 
how are employees feeling at your organization? Do they feel valued? Do they feel engaged? Do they feel like their work is purposeful? Do they understand the why of the organization? Kin is, is there to help capture and help grow all of that. So you, you've mentioned the word engagement quite a, quite a few times uh, in, in that uh, last answer. And it might be interesting, you know, the word engagement's out there a lot right now. Um, and there are some conversations that are great and some definitions that are great. And there are some that are just like head scratchers. So I'm kind of wondering, where do you think engagement is? What does that mean when we say we're trying to increase engagement? What are we really trying to get out of our employees? And what is the organization benefiting out of that by really, you know, fostering better engagement? Yeah, I think that's, I think it's great because for the longest time, there have been some head scratches out there. And I think it started, you know, hilariously enough, I think the tech startup world um, foggy some of that occasionally, especially when we saw a lot of VC money come in and all of a sudden engagement meant that you had a ping pong table and an espresso machine and what an engaging workplace, you know, but that, that word has since so very much evolved. And for us, specifically, which is who I can talk about engagement most, and for our customers on KIN, engagement means do your employees feel as though they have a purpose in their work? Are they dedicated to the cause? And do they feel as though the work that they specifically are doing, not as a team, but as an individual, is moving that organization forward in a way that they believe in? And for us, that's what engagement is. If you can match those things to what that employee is doing, and if that employee can tell you exactly how their work is moving the organization forward and exactly how their work is also moving their individual career forward, then you have an engaged employee. Um, an engaged employee is probably, you know, someone that can say that, but someone who hasn't taken PTO in a while or someone who feels like they haven't been heard by their manager in a review probably wouldn't be as readily able to tell you those answers. So we really rely on that heavily. You know, um, can we connect the dots for an, an employee um, with those questions in mind in a way that truly matters? Yeah, and I, and I kind of, you know, and adding to that, look at engagement as do they care? Do they care about the organization? Do they care about their coworkers? You know, they make decisions. Yep. You know, you see people that say, "Well, that's not my job," or "That that's yeah. not going to impact me," or "I don't care." You know, if you have high engagement, you don't get those types of people. You don't have that type of conversation happening inside of the organization. And and I think you also have people that are willing to disagree, that are willing to make sure that they're not just going along with things. Just you know, that sort of idea of group thought. Um, yep. That you you again, it's sort of caring, right? You care enough to say. Guys, I think this is a stupid idea. <laughs> yep, exactly. And that's right? the best part, you know. The thing for us, too, going back to the question of what is We Are Mammoth culture and what you just said of, like, that's not my job, I think that very quickly we would know that that person wouldn't fit into our culture if that was a mindset, you know. And that's why engagement and culture are so closely related because it's the way mm -hmm. that an employee is engaging with your company, which ultimately is, is how culture is created in the first place. Right, right. Well, I know you've been in, in the tech world, uh, you know, and, and some small uh, st startup game now for well, probably over a decade. So how has your, if you sort of look at all your different experiences and the different industries you've been in, um, how has your leadership evolved over that time? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, for the longest time, I worked in a leadership role at very small organizations to begin with. And when you work in that leadership role, you are not only a strategic leader, you're also a tactical leader, right? So you have things that need to be accomplished every single day to move that organization forward. You have your production work, and then you also have your strategic work, which is leading other folks to get that stuff done and move the company forward. And as I grew in my leadership role, the organizations that I became a part of became larger and larger too. And Kin's around 15 people right now throughout the United States. Um, so for me, my role has really evolved and my mindset has really evolved to a high-level strategic, high-vision um, role, which has been interesting because it's been somewhat of a struggle um, for me. I'm so used to being a production employee. I'm so used to having a to-do list and knowing that there are these tactical things that I need to accomplish every single day to move the organization forward. But what I've learned with Kin and with We Are Mammoth and what is really kind of set us on, you know, a rocket ship um, level uh, speed is realizing that my only job is to remove the barriers that are stopping my teammates 
from doing excellent work. That is my number one job. And that could be everything from making sure that they are taking that time off, right? Having that in, that very personal relationship with them where I can go and say, hey, listen, you haven't taken time off in a little while. I would love to see you put a request in. I would love to see you walk away from work for a little while. And, you know, have, have being able to build that relationship over time where I can have that conversation. Or going and saying, hey, look, this this role is clearly not working for you. What can we do? There's other needs in the organization that you can help meet. What can we do there? Um, and for me, that is extremely satisfying work now. Um, we have a team that is humming right now and just doing an incredible job. And you can really, really tell that everyone is enjoying what they're doing. They're enjoying their work. Um, and that is the ultimate goal of a leader. You know, we're, we're accomplishing our goals, we're getting our work done, and, and we're really proud of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've mentioned uh, the, the vacation thing quite a few times, uh, and I think it's a super important point. Uh, it seems to be our reoccurring theme here for, for the show today, but, um, you know, getting people to feel comfortable enough to do that and to take that time to think about, um, you know, letting their mind relax, letting themselves reset, letting themselves get connect, reconnected with their family, to go have a great experience, to get inspired. Um, and, and, and on top of that, even if you can get people to think about doing that, then you also have mm-hmm. to help protect them and make sure they don't feel like they have to be on their email or showing yeah. up to, you know, a virtual meetings when they're on vacation. Um, yeah, we, we have a, a, a kind of a funny um, policy at our company, which is if you're wired, you're fired. So if you're going to go take a family vacation for two weeks, there is no popping on email. There's no coming in there. And the, the day you come back, you hit control A and delete and get rid of all those emails and start fresh. Yeah. Um, and I think that telling people that about how we expect them to uh, to be on vacation helps them feel more comfortable going on vacation um, because oh, we're not going to expect them to be to be connected. Right. Absolutely. And here's the biggest thing of that, too. You do not want one specific person to be able to take your organization down just because they left for the day or they Mm -hmm. left for a week or two weeks. At the end of the day, that shows me that the organization is weak. I mean, a team is a team because you should be able to fill in the blanks for other people while they're out. And if you have someone where everything hinges on them, not only is that person eventually going to become extremely burned out um, and be of no use to the organization anymore and and extremely unhappy with their job, but it's also going to hurt the organization in the long run. You know, we have toyed with the idea of having, um, you know, an allotted time, like what accountants do, where they have to leave for two weeks. Um, to make sure that we're not putting too much on one person and that we can truly see what the workload looks like. And it is never anything to punish that person. You know, if they come back and we're like, oh, the work that you've been doing hasn't really been moving the organization forward. Like that conversation would never happen. It is a, it's a beautiful, clear reset of, hey, listen, you were gone. And we thought of these really great things that I think that would be really inspire you to work on. And they would also help us. You know, are you willing to kind of shift gears with us a little bit and maybe try this out? And I think for for us, having that mindset of I'm coming back to an organization that's going to, A, be excited to see me, and B, have work that I'm going to really just dig my teeth into and, and just be thrilled to be doing is, is an exciting reason to go on vacation and it's an exciting reason to come back from it, too. Right. Right, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and, and in sort of in the vein of some of the uh, small town startup uh, things that you're doing, uh, what advice are you giving to people who are just starting out? You know, the biggest piece of advice that I can give to anyone who's starting out, um, whether it's in tech, whether it's in small business, is say no or say yes before you're ready and don't say no to things out of fear. So, um, you know, kind of my journey a little bit, but I started in the tech startup world when I was 23. And by the time I was 25, I was the CEO of a, you know, a nearly seven figure company. Um, and it was because I said, yes, I think it's probably out of being a little bit naive at that time, um, to many opportunities that I really knew I wasn't ready for, but I knew that I could figure it out, you know, kind of jump and then build your parachute. And that's always been my, my mantra in life is to just say yes and see where that opportunity takes me. Um, because if you're being uh, given that opportunity, there is a reason for it. Um, so 
you just need to kind of trust the universe and trust that you're being given that opportunity to allow you to shine and believe in what you can do. Um, and that would be kind of my biggest piece of advice for anyone starting out is to just truly be excited about the opportunity in front of you. Well, that's absolutely the difference between an entrepreneur and not, is that we say yes. Um, yes. I've jokingly told my friends, I could probably do brain surgery. I mean, I clearly would not do it. I shouldn't do it. But if right. someone told me I had to do it tomorrow, I would go read a bunch of books and do my best job. I would say, okay, let's do this, you know, if I had to. And I think it's that sort of like, I can say yes, it's this blind confidence that I can try. I can. I know I can give my best or whatever it is, or I can go get resources, I can talk to people, I can figure it out. Um, yes. And clearly, if I did brain surgery, I would fail. But if you fail, you can learn from those things and get better the next time. So right. I think anyone out there who's sort of afraid, who doesn't want to say yes, I think there's no way I could handle it. I mean, maybe an entrepreneur-type uh, business is not for you. If you can't think in that the, those terms in that perspective, uh, it's so, so important to, to say yes before you're ready and not to say no. I think you, you categorize that very, very well uh, because you're afraid. So um, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you, what book are you reading right now that we might want to check out? You know, the one book that I just finished up and I just loved it, it was so basic, but it was called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. And it was written by a Navy SEAL who talked mm -hmm. all about his time in uh, the academy and how something as simple as making your bed every morning can change your mindset and can change your performance throughout the day, which, you know, ripple effects can eventually change the world. And it was an incredible book, very basic, simple um, advice that, is very, you know, true and honest and wonderful, and I, I truly enjoyed it. I agree. It is a great book. I still haven't started making my bed, but it is a great book. Lots of good lessons. <laughs> um, how can uh, people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, your organization, or wanting to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are kind of an open door here, so you can email me anytime at lisa.arnold at kin, K-I-N-H-R.com, or you can find me on Instagram, lisa.arnold, or Twitter, Lisa Virgilio, which I still kept the maiden name on Twitter. So it's a, it's a fun one for you to try to figure out with that. <laughs> well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming back on the show today. I love keeping track of all the cool things that you're doing and um, everything that you're thinking about. So um, hopefully it's, um, we'll have you come back again and give us some more updates on all the awesome stuff that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure. All right, next week I will not be having a live show, but we'll do a best of. I'll be speaking uh, twice in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. So looking forward to that, uh, and I'll bring back my report on that. And then uh, September 3rd, we'll be bringing back uh, live in with Darian George, managing partner of McKinsey, Eason & Associates, and then Stephanie Navasu, uh, Talent Acquisition Manager for Bay City. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.